You're listening to a sermon podcast for a time like this from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. And so now with Christmas tide and the feast of Epiphany behind us, the gospel narrative jumps straight to the adult Jesus going down to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. The account we read from the gospel according to Mark is brief, which is so very typical of the way in which Mark writes. Our reading began just four verses into Mark, a gospel which begins the beginning of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In fact, Mark is the only one of the four gospel writers who opens by telling the reader that what he's giving them is gospel. And that's kind of interesting. And then without any birth story or any reference to Jesus' childhood, Mark jumps right to the figure of John the Baptist and to Jesus' baptism. That's Mark's way. His is the earliest and the shortest of the four Gospels. You can sit down and read it through easily in an hour. The Greek of the original is not sophisticated, whereas other New Testament writers, Paul and John particularly, were clearly well-instructed and schooled. Mark writes more simply, commonly, and at times even a bit awkwardly. The ancient tradition was that Mark received these stories firsthand from Peter. That sometime before Peter's death, Mark hurried to set it all down in ink. There's a Tradition that says Mark actually wrote himself into the story. He's not a disciple after all. But he wrote himself into the story at the point of Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that he did it as a way of saying that like his mentor Peter, he too would have lost nerve on the night of Jesus' arrest. It's a funny little reference. It says, A certain young man was following Jesus, wearing nothing but a linen cloth. And they, the temple police, they caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth and ran off naked. None of the other Gospels mentions that young man, because it's pretty clear that both Luke and Matthew had Mark's story in hand as they wrote, The fact that they omitted this little bit about the humiliated and fearful young naked man suggests they perhaps didn't quite recognize the importance of the detail to Mark. Well, regardless, the whole of Mark's narrative is punctuated by a kind of urgency. In Mark's telling, everything is happening immediately. He uses that word immediately 27 times in his short book. And a good amount of the time, Jesus' disciples seem not to have a clue as to what is going on. 
As the musician Nick Cave comments in his extraordinary little essay on Mark, quote, even Jesus' disciples, who we would hope would absorb some of Christ's brilliance, seem to be in a perpetual fog of misunderstanding. Following Christ from scene to scene with little or no comprehension of what is going on. And yet, Cave comments, it is Christ's divine inspiration versus the dull rationalism of those around him that gives Mark's narrative its tension, its drive. That tension fires right through to the end of this gospel. When at the empty tomb, the women simply recoil in fear at the very thought of resurrection and flee. That's where most New Testament scholars believe Mark ended his telling of the gospel. That's where the most ancient of manuscripts end, with those women, devoted followers who had known Jesus ever so well, running in fright. And here the novelist and essayist Reynolds Price comments, Mark intended to end his story as we have it, in literal midair, while the women flee the tomb in terror. Such an apparently reckless last-minute abandonment by an author of his reader's keenest final expectation is thoroughly characteristic of the kind of narrator Mark has been throughout his book. This is my story suddenly told. You tell it from here. That's how Mark works. And so just a few verses in, and that wild man John the Baptist just appears, clothed like a prophet of old, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and preaching about the one who was soon to come and who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. Just like that, Jesus arrives from Nazareth and he's baptized by John. Unlike the stories told by Matthew and John, there is not even a hint that the Baptist recognizes Jesus, or that he hesitated for even a moment to baptize him along with all of the others who were coming. You see, Matthew says John would have prevented Jesus from being baptized, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? Kind of a recognition of the significance of Jesus as the coming one. Well, in John's telling, the Baptist takes one look at Jesus and says, Ah, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But again, Mark is so clipped. And in his typical fashion, it comes down to just this. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. Now pause for a minute. 
Think about the protests that John the Baptist raised in Matthew's account. Why is Jesus seeking John's water baptism in the first place? John's baptism is very clearly identified as one of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and a spiritual preparation for the coming of the one who is more powerful than I, who will baptize in the Spirit. Now, if Jesus is that coming one, what's he doing getting dunked by John in the River Jordan? Well, I think there's at least two things at work here. One that is immediately, to use Mark's favorite word, immediately visible, and the other that will emerge into view as the gospel story gradually unfolds. So firstly, it would seem that the human Jesus of Nazareth is undergoing a kind of symbolic ritual through which his ministry has not yet begun, and maybe even the fullness of his understanding of his identity is being brought into clarity. As he emerges from the water, Jesus saw the heavens torn open. That's a kind of a violent word. The other Gospels don't use it, just Mark. Jesus saw the heavens torn open, the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove. Now, interestingly, if you attend to the precise wording, he saw the heavens torn apart, not they saw. It would seem that this is an intensely personal experience for Jesus. And that's further reinforced by what he hears. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. He is spoken to directly. Now, this adult Jesus... The one who had, in Luke's phrasing, increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. This adult Jesus is about to come into the fullness of his life's work. That is marked by John's water baptism, which rather speaks to why rituals and symbolic acts figure so large across cultures and contexts ancient and modern. Somehow we need them. And in his own way, so did Jesus at that moment. Secondly, though, I think that Jesus is submitting to John's baptism. It can also be understood as his first visible, tangible act of solidarity with humanity in all of its need and all of its brokenness. What is Jesus' steady and unrelenting posture toward those who know the ruin, the needs and sin of their own lives? What's his insistent posture to reach out? He touches them, engages them, forgives them, eats with them, and stands with them as one with them. That is what the incarnation means, ultimately that the Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood as the greatest good neighbor anyone could have asked for. Unless, of course, you imagined, like some did, that you didn't need the love 
forgiveness, acceptance, and company of this particular neighbor, which is ultimately the folly of those who will reject Jesus and push him away in the gospel accounts. But those stories are yet to come. For now, as we recall this story of Jesus' baptism, we are best to embrace it as a story telling of his deep desire and willingness to be one with us. Oh, and his willingness to go not only the extra mile, but as far as it will take, no matter the cost, as far as it will take. Mark doesn't for a moment think that that is an easy thing. For the very next verse after today's reading ends, after Jesus is baptized and hears those words coming to him, telling him his true identity, the very next words are, and the Spirit immediately, of course immediately, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Drove him. Buckle your seatbelts, Mark is saying to his readers. This is going to be my intense story about Jesus, suddenly told. Listen, if I catch your attention, catch your imaginations, you may well find yourselves wanting, no, needing to tell it from here. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church, including further resources during these days of the COVID-19 global pandemic, or to provide support for our online work, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. Thanks for listening.